This morning brings us very close to December of 2020. There are so many events yet to come to fruition and to fulfillment. Uh, before we reached 2021, I'm opening my Bible again this morning to the Psalms. Uh, this time I'm opening to Psalm 10. Psalm 10 begins with a question, as did Psalm 2, the psalm we shared last Sunday morning. I must say as I begin this morning that this psalm, this psalm is written for today. This is written for today. The scripture, of course, speaks to us yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But this psalm, Psalm 10, which is a prayer for justice. My topic that I'll discuss with you this morning is a prayer for justice. But this is so applicable to today. For example, we are, we collectively, we are about to, we're coming up very close to a fork in the road. The fork in the road we can see just up ahead of us. Will we as a society go to the left or will we go to the right? And the consequences of the choice that we make as a society in terms of which route or which fork we take, the consequences are immense. On the one hand, we have a fork that will take us to conditions in the Western world that will be more conducive to gospel harvest. A gospel harvest. The purpose of the church is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And uh, we're under, we understand the words of Jesus as he gave the Great Commission. And so we know that the call of the church is to evangelize and make disciples. And that means that there is a gospel harvest that is to be taken in uh, before we reach a point where no one can work. While it is still day, we are to be engaged in this gospel harvest. Now, in, in order to uh, successfully harvest in terms of the gospel, There must be an atmosphere within the church that is conducive to this harvest. And also, it is very beneficial to have a peaceful society within which preaching and teaching and assembly uh, can can occur in a very uh, productive way. The other fork in the road that we can see ahead of us will lead us to a persecution where the church will, it will be necessary for the church to function in many ways underground, especially the church that speaks the word of God and stands for the name of Jesus and speaks the truth no matter what. And so there's a gospel harvest on one fork, conditions more conducive to a gospel harvest. But the church must wake up and be spiritually equipped in order to work in this harvest. But the other fork, again, is a persecution, persecution of the church, actually persecution by the state, by governments within Western societies. This will require the church to go more underground, where public assemblies will become more difficult, especially public assemblies that will proclaim the gospel in a complete and full way. And so we are praying this morning for justice. We pray for justice to reign in our society. And as I begin in Psalm 10, verse 1, the question posed by the psalmist is, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? O Jehovah God, why do you stand afar off? It appears sometimes to us that Father God 
is standing afar off. Of course, we know that's not true, but in circumstances, it's tempting for individuals, even as believers, to think that God is standing afar off. And so the psalmist again, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide your eyes, or why do you hide yourself in times of trouble, times of distress, or times of desperation? In pride the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. Now, I can't emphasize this enough, but you'll see, we'll all see this morning as we proceed through this psalm, that the message of this psalm is definitely for us in 2020, right now, in this critical moment, as we approach the fork in the road just up ahead. Again, the psalmist writes, Let them, that is the wicked, who are hotly pursuing the afflicted, let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. And so there are many now, from a wicked perspective, who are devising plots and plans. And the psalmist is saying, let them be caught in the very plots which they have devised. This is the introduction now to Psalm 10. Moving to verse 3, For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. The psalmist describes this, the wicked, the wicked, and the characteristics of the wicked person, the wicked individual, the person devoted to wickedness. And he speaks about the countenance as being haughty, and you will observe this. You will have noticed this uh, arrogant, contemptuous countenance, the visage, the very facial features and the demeanor, the body language of the wicked is often haughty and arrogant. And says, the psalmist says that this individual does not seek the Lord. And all of his thoughts, his plans, his devices, are based on the idea that there is no God. But to him, to the wicked, the situation uh, that his ethics are situational and autonomous. Uh, he is master of his own destiny. He's able to shape his own destiny. He is answerable to no one except himself. His ethics are based on circumstances and situations as he sees them. And he is autonomous as he pursues them. So therefore he devises and determines in his own heart and mind what he should pursue, what is worthy of his pursuit. And he engages himself fully in those pursuits and is answerable to no one other than himself. This is very descriptive of the moment in which we find ourselves. Verse 5, the psalmist continues, and he's referring now to the wicked, that individual who pursues his own his own destiny that he has determined for himself. The individual who says that God does not exist, there is no God, I'm not answerable to God, I'm not answerable to anyone above myself because there is no one above myself. This is the evil. This is the evil mindset. Now, verse 5 is very interesting. 
the psalmist writes, his ways prosper at all times. I want to spend a little time on this word that, the English word for prosper, his ways. The psalmist is describing the ways, the plans, the modus operandi, if you like, of the wicked. And it's, he, and it's in, it's in our English Bibles, his ways prosper at all times. But the word, the original word, which is translated as prosper, the, this original word, uh, has many different meanings, most of which derive from two basic ideas. Uh, one is to whirl in motion, to whirl in motion. And the second idea is to writhe in pain. And so we have these two basic ideas. This word is used in many different ways. But these two basic ideas which involve uh, incorporating whirling in motion as in a kind of dance, a whirling, writhing kind of dance, and to writhe in pain. So pain, dance, and whirling are merged together, those ideas, in this original word. And so it results in a perverted, twisted motion and ways and manners and devices and plans. They are, they are perverted, they are twisted, and they always lead to pain. And the summation of this is that the ways of the evil person cause suffering and they cause grief and they cause sorrow because they lead to suffering grief, or sorrow. And the ways of the wicked are always like this. Always like this. Perverted, twisted, cause suffering, and they lead to grief or sorrow. And so I'll read verse 5 again. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments or your justice are on high out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he snorts at them because he is arrogant. This is the wicked. He is arrogant, he's full of pride, and he worships himself. Now, the psalmist is approaching this with, uh, from the standpoint of the wicked, appear to be prospering within the society. They appear to be gaining their objectives. They appear to be doing what they want to do. It appears as if no one is standing against them. No one can obstruct them. And he is calling out and saying, basically, where where are you, God? Where are you, oh, great Jehovah God? Where are you? You appear to be standing afar off. Are your eyes seeing what is happening? And so this is the beginning of Psalm 10. But at the same time that the psalmist is lamenting what appears to be God's absence from the situation, he also is saying that God's justice or his judgments are on high and they exist and they are on high and they're out of the sight of the wicked. The wicked cannot see them and doesn't know them. And yet he snorts, that is the wicked, he snorts in his arrogance at all of his adversaries. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. And so the wicked, and I believe that we see this around us now, in the various movements within our societies in the Western world, that could be described as motivated by wickedness. 
I want to be very careful this morning. I'm not referring to individuals necessarily in all cases as being wicked, inherently so. Because in in a few moments, I'd like to describe a little bit more about how that I believe that many of the individuals caught up in movements within our general society have been caught up in a web of deceit. And I believe that they are victims of the web of deceit into which they have been caught up. Now they have been caught up in this web of deceit because of foolish decisions they have made. But after they have been caught up, it's as if they have been taken hostage by these deceits and these deceptions and are not able then to extract themselves from it. But they are caught up in evil and they are used by evil and they cooperate with evil, but they are not necessarily inherently evil themselves. What needs to happen is they need to be delivered from that web of deceit into which they have been caught up and taken hostage by. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that as we as we move through the psalm this morning. The wicked, he says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. And there's a, there's a supreme kind of confidence that the wicked has. The individual's caught up in this wicked, in this wickedness. He is extremely confident and has a distorted kind of faith in his position. He has faith in his vision. He has faith in his position, faith in his intelligence. He has faith in his ways and means even though his ways are perverted and twisted and lead to pain, cause suffering, grief, and sorrow. This this psalm is just so marvelous and wonderful. And of course, it is the word of God. That's why it is so wonderful, because it's God's word through the psalmist to us. And it speaks to us right now in this moment that we find ourselves in. Look ahead and see the fork in the road just up ahead because there is one, and it's imperative that we as a society take the right fork in this road. Let's not give up by any means. Let's not succumb to this evil. Let's pray for justice. That's what we're doing this morning as we move through this psalm, which is a prayer for justice. In verse 7, still talking about the wicked, his mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. Now the, t- the tenor tone begins to shift slightly. Still speaking, now the psalmist still speaking about the wicked person, but beginning now to describe wicked the wicked person as a lion, as a beast looking for prey. And he writes, he sits in the lurking places of the villages, In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. And so we need to think now about the way in which a lion might seek out victims to consume and realize that that picture is being portrayed by the psalmist as a picture of the way in which wickedness works in our society to take advantage of innocence take advantage of those who are not aware of their surroundings, those who are easily victimized and uh, become prey. 
The wicked, again, his eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate, that is, for the poor or for the defenseless. This is what evil seeks to take advantage of and exploit, is the poor, in in other words, individuals who are defenseless, who are not able to really clearly see the danger that they are in, the danger posed by philosophies, by ideologies, by changing ways of thinking within our society. And individuals who are not able to see that very clearly are easily victimized. And this is what the evil one looks for. Verse 9. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches... He bows down and the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones or his claws. And so the unfortunate becomes a victim to this evil. And this is the lamentation of the psalmist. And the great cry of his heart is that God would intervene in this circumstance and situation. Oh God, we need your intervention in this moment that we find ourselves in. I share a little bit this morning about the victims of perverse ideologies. The victims of perverse ideologies are caught up in a web of deceit or deception. It's very similar to the old poem that was written about uh, early in the 1800s called The Spider and the Fly. Spider and the Fly was written by Mary Howitt, She was born in 1799, and she lived until 1888. So at some point in the early to mid-1800s, she wrote this this poem, The Spider and the Fly. And I'll reference that in a moment. But many today in our societies are being entrapped by appeals to education because what we see happening around us is that evil and evil individuals, individuals, that is, that are motivated and used by evil apparatus and evil ways, are entrapping individuals and ensnaring them and using topics such as education. Individuals want to be educated or consider themselves to be educated. Therefore, they are submitting themselves to institutional education and information and the formulating of their thoughts in such a way that they are being encouraged to accept and believe what the Scripture teaches clearly is error, evil, false and wrong. Many people are being ensnared because of a desire for promotion. If you you subscribe to this kind of philosophy or ideology, or if you're willing to endorse these various movements within the larger culture, you will be promoted. There's a peer pressure that is operating even within families, and I would say even within families of those who describe themselves as Christians or Christian families. There's a peer pressure that gradually is working to influence many to come over to a understanding of major events within our culture, and that understanding is in opposition to the Word of God 
opposition to the faith of our fathers. Oftentimes people are interested in craving job security, and part of their job security, for example, if they were to work within the healthcare system within our Western societies, Western culture, it would be important for them to adopt certain views or ideas involving treatment and involving especially the care of the dying that would be uh, contrary to the teaching of God's Word, and yet there is an interpretation that is given, an understanding that is given to them, and they are compromising the Word of God for the sake of job security. Intimidation is being used. By intimidation, there is being uh, appeals are being made by evil to natural intelligence and saying that if you are an intelligent person, you cannot hold those ideas that are presented by Scripture. Those ideas have been superseded now as our society has evolved. And you, those are, those are relics of the Dark Ages, those ideas. And no serious person would now in the 21st century, hold those ideas. And so this is there's an intimidation that is launched. And so all of these and so many more that I'll not mention and have not mentioned are resulting in individuals being entrapped in a web of deceit and a web of deception. And as a consequence, deserting the faith of our fathers, the faith of our mothers, the faith of those who have gone ahead of us and it was a very rational faith, a sound, intelligent, thoughtful, common sense, true to the Word of God faith. And as a result of this desertion, individuals now are being victimized by this evil. And this is the crouching, the bowing, the waiting, the lying in wait, the unfortunate fall by the mighty claws, speaking of a lion as an example. But this, this is the kind of strategies that evil uses. And so as a result of this deserting of the faith of our fathers, there's a confusion now between what is right and what is wrong. Something that several decades ago was very easy to understand, the difference between right and wrong on any given issue. Right was here, wrong was over here, and sinner and saint uh, all very much agreed on the basic premise of what was right and what was wrong. Not so now. Things that were right then have been moved over to the wrong column. Things in the wrong column then have been moved over to the right column today. There is a uh, deserting the faith of our fathers has resulted in confusion concerning what is normal and what is abnormal. Very easy to see a number of years ago, several decades back, a generation or two, it was very easy to see what was normal on one hand and what was abnormal on the other. And now that has been turned on its head. Truth and error have been turned around, turned backwards. And some of the particular subject matter or areas where this confusion and this desertion has uh, occurred is in the area of human sexuality. And I'll not go into a specific detail on all of these things, because you can do that yourself. I simply want to point out that it is this uh, modus operandi of evil within a society 
that takes advantage of the weak and the defenseless and victimizes them. And I'm saying that many within our society today are victims of this. Victims of this. And we must be careful that we don't treat victims as perpetrators. It's very, very easy, and I possibly have done this myself from time to time, that I have failed to differentiate between an individual who has become a victim of the evil within our society today because they now are cooperating with it. But they are cooperating with it because they have been taken hostage by it. What I need to do is I need to realize that they have been taken hostage by it and I need to pray and I need to minister and I need to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ to release them from that bondage. And we must pray for justice prevails in their life and in their circumstances. But there is this confusion now with regards to human sexuality. There is this wrong-headedness, this unreasonable interpretation supplied in the area of gender, the area of the dying, and what's appropriate in terms of assisting the suffering of those who are dying. The view of intoxicants, anything that is intoxicating, anything that changes and intoxicates or places an individual under, under its influence, such as alcohol, drugs, anything like this. And so our view of the use of intoxicants has changed tremendously. The view of marriage has changed radically. And all these changes in viewpoint as a result of deserting the faith of our fathers, but deserting the faith of our fathers is a consequence of being taken hostage or becoming victim, becoming a victim of the ways and the means and the ploys of evil within our society and the evil person who perpetuates this. I might just mention again the spider and the fly, the poem from the 1800s by Mary Howitt. It begins as follows. Will you walk into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. Tis the prettiest little parlor that ever you did spy. The way into my parlor is up a winding stair, and I have many pretty things to show you when you are there. Oh, no, no, said the little fly. To ask me is in vain, for who goes up your winding stair can ne'er come down again. And in this poem of several parts to the poem, Mary Howitt is uh, introducing us to the idea of deception and how that flattery is used oftentimes in deception and how that a person can uh, resist this deception at first but yet still be taken by it at some point as it persists. And we have many in our society who have been taken in. We have the example of the spider and the fly uh, very active around us today. And then a little further on in the poem, we find these words. The spider turned him around and went into his den, for well he knew the silly fly would soon be back again. So he wove a subtle web in a little corner sly and set his table ready to dine upon the fly. 
Then he came out to his door again and merrily did sing. Come hither, hither, pretty fly, with the pearl and silver wing. Your robes are green and purple, there's a crest upon your head. Your eyes are like the diamond bright, but mine are as dull as lead. Alas, alas, how very soon this silly little fly, hearing his wily, flattering words, came slowly flitting by. With buzzing wings she hung aloft, then nearer and nearer drew, thinking only of her brilliant eyes and green and purple hue, thinking only of her crested head, poor foolish thing. At last up jumped the cunning spider and fiercely held her fast. He dragged her up his winding stair into his dismal den within his little parlor, but she ne'er came out again. And there, of course, there was a moral to this poem, in the, written again in the 1800s, and the final portion is as follows. And now, dear little children who may this story read, to idle, silly, flattering words, I pray you ne'er give heed. Unto an evil counselor, close heart and ear and eye, and take a lesson from this tale of the spider and the fly. Let me read this again. Because this needs to be applied now. Not just with little children, but all of us, because many have conducted themselves as um, childish in this, in this area of being so prone to deception. And now, dear little children who made this story read, to idle, silly, flattering words, I pray you ne'er give heed. Unto an evil counselor, close heart and ear, and I, and take a lesson from this tale of the spider and the fly. And so what was wisdom in the 1800s and understood by all to be wisdom has been largely forgotten in the 2000s and especially in 2020, where we find ourselves in this moment. Returning to Psalm 10, verse 11, he says to himself, this is still evil, the words of evil. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. In other words, I'm answerable to no one. I don't believe that God exists, so therefore I'm not answerable to him. I'm answerable to no one. And now, beginning in verse 12, the psalmist begins to change and begins to pray and, and, and speak to, to, to God the Father. And the words are, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. It reminds me, as uh, I read the, the words of verse 12, it reminds me of Psalm 68. I read Psalm 68, beginning at verse 1. And it says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. And let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But let the righteous be glad, let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. And especially, again, verse 1 of Psalm 68 
Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. And this is the prayer of the psalmist, a prayer for justice in Psalm 10, that God would arise and intervene. And this is what our prayer is this morning, that God will intervene in the circumstances that we are faced with right now as we move very quickly now towards this fork just up ahead of us in the road. May God, by his power and influence, intervene in the affairs of mankind and the earth. Even now, this morning, as we pray for justice and righteousness and rightness to prevail. Evil has exercised itself and evil has attempted to exploit and to steal and to take and to presume in an arrogant fashion itself upon everyone else. And may it be found out, may it be, may it be dealt with, may it be discerned. In verse 13, why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. In other words, I will not have to give any account for what I am doing and the way in which I am doing it. Verse 14, you, word spoken now to Jehovah God, you have seen it, for you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. This is the prayer that God, knowing that God has seen it and knows what is happening in the earth, that he, God, would take matters into his own hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan or of the fatherless. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. In other words, oh, Father God, do not allow any of this wickedness to hide, but force it out into the open so that it might be seen and discovered and dealt with as for what it really is. Reveal it so that everyone can see it for what it really is. It's evil, wicked nature and expose it until none of it remains. This is the prayer of the psalmist. This is the prayer we pray today. In verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his, from his land. See, the Lord is king. The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. He has intervened throughout history in elevating nations and removing nations. And he presides over the affairs of mankind. And, O oh God, we pray that you would move now in our affairs, in Western societies, even this morning. We pray for your justice to be manifested now in the affairs of mankind as we approach this very, very important fork in the road just up ahead of us. May we move on that fork that will permit evangelism, and open assembly, and preaching the gospel in its purity and power, unhindered. And may the great harvest of souls now that uh, we have been commissioned to harvest, may it be a time of great spiritual harvest for the kingdom of God. The conclusion of Psalm 10, verses 17 and 18 O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble, that is, of the afflicted. You have heard the desire of the humble. 
you will strengthen their heart, you will incline your ear to vindicate, that is to do justice. So you will do justice to the orphan and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. I'll read those two closing verses, the conclusion, one more time. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Brings us to the end of Psalm 10, and we can see this morning that Psalm 10 is a marvelous prayer for justice that is not only relevant and pertinent to the psalmist about 3,000 years ago, but can be uh, applied with precision again to us right now in 2020 as we approach the month of December. We see a need for this prayer to be uh, prayed and answered right now. As we come to a conclusion this morning, I would invite you all to read Psalm 10, even on a daily basis. Just read the psalm. And as you read the psalm, as you read Psalm 10, moving, moving into the next two and three weeks that are ahead of us, that are of critical importance to all of us, then pray this. Pray this as a prayer for justice, asking for Lord God Almighty to intervene in the affairs of mankind, to expose wickedness and evil in all parts of our society, to bring about a climate that is conducive to evangelism and the proclamation of the gospel, and bring about a climate that is conducive for the release of hostages, those who in many cases are members of our own families or friends, individuals that we know very well, and we know that they're minds and ways of thinking and believing and speaking have been radically affected by evil philosophy and ideology. We know that they are not inherently evil in and of themselves, but they've been caught up by it and are a party to it right now. If their lives were to end in this, in the condition that they're in now, that it would be a complete disaster. And so we are praying for souls. It's not, it's not just a cry against evil, but it is, a, it is a desire that the pernicious influence of evil would be broken over the hearts and minds of many. We're praying for deliverance. We're praying for a restoration. We're praying for many to return to righteousness and right way of thinking and believing and to the faith of our fathers. So this is the kind of atmosphere and the conditions that we are praying for as we pray for justice. And we know for that to happen, that the plans of evil must be exposed and must be broken. And so we pray all this to our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name. Amen. When our enemy 
crouching at the door seeks to kill and to devour. Though in our despair, you are always there, even in our darkest hour. Now arise, O Lord, be near to us. You're the refuge for our souls. For none can stay your mighty hand. We trust in you alone. Sinful man conceived, plots and evil deeds, scoffing at the sick and poor. Though they vie for strength, one thing still remains: you forever reign as Lord. Now arise, O Lord, and judge the earth. Make your truth and justice known. When evil men revile again, we trust in you alone. The enemies waiting at the door, with our tongues as sharp as swords. We're the foolish ones, eager to ignore that you ever reign as Lord for our sinful. Hearts, you clearly see we're condemned, left on our own. Our only plea is Christ, our King. We trust in Him alone. Now arise, O.、Oh Church proclaims, we trust in.